When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. You need energy efficiency in a variety of areas in your life. For me, I need it when I'm hosting a podcast, but we all need it with our windows and our doors. And I'm looking at Pella's website right now. How about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors by Pella. Won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. Big time stuff right there, people. For more information on how Pella can make your home more comfortable and energy efficient, check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Runza. You know, Runza and my podcast, we've teamed up. Pretty, pretty sensational team. For a pretty exciting summer sweepstakes that could win you one free Runza combo meal a month for an entire year. Whoa! All you got to do is head over to herdatmedia.com backslash boss sweeps to enter for your chance to win. You might get your free runs a game right one per month for an entire year. All you got to do is get registered for your chance to win. That's herdatmedia.com backslash boss sweeps. Head there, get registered, and you might be the grand prize winner. Runza makes it all better. Welcome back into the podcast, and uh, we got a good one dialed up for you. I haven't done a mailbag in a little while, and I wanted to fire one back up. Before we get to it, got two topics I want to dive into, and then we'll get to the mailbag. It's got a bunch of good questions. But, you know, this uh, I'm taping this on Monday night. It's July 12th. It's almost 8 o'clock at night, and, you know, this this AD search is is still going. It'll be what three weeks, I believe, on on Friday. So we're we're about two and a half weeks in. Um, and I, you know, there's there's this part of me every every time I I consume any sort of coverage about the AD search or I think about the AD search, I'm like, just you know, I'm like, deep breaths, just calm down, relax, no big deal. But each day that passes, and there's no news on the athletic director front for Nebraska. I can't help but scratch my head a little bit because, you know, you try to make sense of the timing and circumstances of this Bill Moose sudden retirement, and now the longer-than-anticipated search for the next athletic director just kind of makes you go, what's, what's, going, what's going on here? And I should say the, the longer-than-anticipated search for, based on what I anticipated happened because, for me, the few days after Moose, quote-unquote, retired – I thought, like, my, my thought process was, okay, Nebraska clearly probably has their next guy who they, they really want to be the next athletic director. They got him on the hook. And instead of waiting for Bill Moose to kind of run out the clock on his contract and, and his career and, and retire, let's just find a way for Bill Moose to leave happy and taken care of financially and we can bring in our guy. That's kind of what I, like, I, I, I figured what was going on behind the scenes. But as the days have passed, and now a few weeks have passed, that kind of doesn't appear like that was the situation on a variety of levels. So then you start wondering, 
A, what the heck really happened with Bill Moose? Right? I mean, what what really happened with Bill Moose for him to quote-unquote retire and, you know, feel like now is the time? What, what really went down? Because, again, Bill Moose got a $2.9 million settlement. Like, what he got five hundred seventy-five thousand dollars for his remaining salary, and then one point two million dollars for next year's salary, and then a million dollars in prorated deferred compensation. Which I don't know. You connect all those dots; it seems kind of pretty obvious that this was a buyout, and it kind of seems like Bill Moose was told that he needed to go and go now. So you, you connect those dots with now how there's been an elongated, at least in my timeline, you go elongated search. You go, what really happened with Bill Moose? Because then B is, you know, Nebraska has clearly reached out to someone like Jamie Pollard, who's the athletic director at Iowa State, and he chose to stay at Iowa State, which then makes makes me believe that they maybe Nebraska didn't have their guy. Maybe Nebraska misread the situation. I don't know. Here's the thing is, each day that passes, you start conjuring up and filling in the blanks of, of what is really going on with, with this whole situation. It's just, it's hard to combine all these things and make sense of them. Because again, I just have a hard time believing Nebraska was kind of caught off guard with this Moose retirement. I, I don't know. I, I I find that hard to believe. Because this was, again, this was a buyout. Let's just cut the BS. Let's call it like it was. This was Nebraska kind of showing Bill Moose the door. And so I guess what I'm wondering and thinking about out loud is, you know, okay, did something happen that forced Nebraska's hand in moving on with Bill Moose? Again, I figured it was because Nebraska had their next AD kind of locked and loaded. But if that were the case, I'd imagine he'd be hired by now. Why would you wait and wait and wait if you had someone locked in? So then you wonder what really happened with Moose if that's not the case. I don't know. I and mean, we'll probably never know. And all that just, all of that leaves you scratching your head. And each day that passes, you can kind of feel the tension and the WTF meter rising bit by bit with Nebraska fans. And and that's not just because the circumstances are certainly odd. It's not just because of that. It, it's also because Nebraska's kind of lost the benefit of the doubt with their hires and the the process and the decisions in picking the and making these important decisions and and for important positions, right? Like that, that's, that's the truth of the deal. That's the reality of the situation because you, you look at, at, you know, you try and pick, okay, case in point here with, with how they've lost the benefit of the doubt. Nebraska's, I'm reading this from Evan Bland's story back in, I gosh, this was early July, July 3rd, I think. Evan Bland writes, Nebraska's run of buyouts continues. A 2020 study by Athletic Director Yu revealed no school in the country spent more money paying off football and men's basketball coaches since 2005 than the Huskers, who doled out nearly $28 million overall. The school also paid off fired AD Steve Peterson, $2.2 million, and Sean Eichhorst, $1.7 million during that span. So, yeah, the reality is, I can totally understand why people are getting more and more anxious and tense with, with things because of what's the track record's been for the best 15, 20 years. It's just a lot to take in and digest and try to make sense of. Again, I figured Nebraska had their next AD locked and ready to go, but that doesn't appear to be the case. 
and you know then you just then wonder what what's what's what was all going on with with both with this this search and then the circumstances behind Bill Moose's sudden retirement. Because like I said, when you combine that with the track record of hires and and losing the benefit of the doubt on on all that stuff, you get a situation where each day that passes, I, along with a lot of other Husker fans and media members, can't help but get a little more perplexed. Now, to be fair, there is no real hard timeline on this thing. Like it's not like Nebraska has a deadline necessarily. Like it's 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 not like there is like Nebraska has to have an AD in place th- right this moment. Nah, not really. I mean they've they extended Will Bolt and gave him a raise. They've brought on Ro- uh, uh, Rob Childress to the the baseball program. Like the th- things are still happening over there. So there, there's also that to be fair. I mean all the matters that you get this right, whether it takes one day or 31 days. But at the same time, you don't want this thing to linger on for too long. And like I said, the longer it lingers and goes on, the more you kind of can't help but raise some questions and scratch your head on things given the circumstances with the situation on a variety variety of fronts. So, you know, we'll see what happens. I'd have to imagine, in my mind, once it didn't happen right away, my mind immediately went to Big Ten Media Days, which is July 22nd. I was like, okay, I would I would think Nebraska is going to want to have someone in place prior to Big Ten Football Media Days. But again, that's in 10 days. So the chances of that happening, I mean, I guess aren't. I mean, it could happen. I mean, heck, this could happen at any moment. But maybe that's too soon. Maybe Maybe August 1st is a more realistic kind of timeline to think about. So, certainly an interesting story to track on a variety of fronts. The, the, other, the other story I wanted to touch on quickly before I get to the mailbag. I, I, I said it on the pod last week, and I, I've thought about this quite a bit. I thought one of the potential positives from, this, from NIL and college sports, name, image, and likeness, and the, allowing these players to make money off, them, uh, off their name, image, and likeness, I felt like one of the potential positives from NIL and college sports could be that players stay in college longer, especially in college basketball. And what do you know? You've seen a lot of interesting things the the last couple of weeks. Now, I will say there's the timing of the, the, you got to drop out of the the draft and the NIL thing kind of timing up. But nevertheless, college basketball has gotten some great news over the last week, 10 days, two weeks-ish with players like Johnny Juzang announcing that he's staying at UCLA. Hunter Dickinson announcing that he's coming back to Michigan. Ochai Abaji announcing that he's returning to Kansas. Travion Williams announcing that he's returning to Purdue. Bagley announcing that he's staying at Arizona State. O'Banner and Max A. Smith, the two Earl Roberts studs, are coming back to college. O'Banner's transferring, but nevertheless, he's coming back for another year of college basketball. Drew Timmy is coming back to college. Kofi Coburn is staying in college for at least another year. Now, again, he's going to transfer, but that's a big name that is coming back and going to play another year of college basketball. And listen, there's a bunch of other names, but I think you get the point because that's a lot of big-time guys coming back to college, which is great. And I wondered I wondered if this NIL thing could keep a few players each year who are really good college players 
but likely are kind of fringe draft picks, likely won't get picked, fringe NBA guys. And maybe those guys decide to stay in college instead of going to the G League, going that route, or overseas. Maybe they stay in college for another year, play college hoops, make some money off their NIL, and guess what? Everyone wins. College basketball wins, and the the players that come back, they're going to make money off themselves. Heck, some guys' earnings potential could be at its height right now in terms of their name, image, and likeness. So, I, I, I don't know. I think you're already seeing this the, the potential benefits of, of the NIL in college basketball showing itself. Now, again, to be fair, you, you, I don't, you don't know if everyone that I just named is, was th- is thinking like that, but I think it's just interesting that a lot of the big-name college players that have decided to come back are all guys that were likely fringe second-rounders or would have gone undrafted. And, you know, the, the the thing that's been unfortunate is before this NIL thing that just went into effect 12 days ago, before, these players didn't really have an option if they wanted to get paid playing basketball. Like, you 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 have to roll the dice with the draft and accept that you're probably going to be a G-leaguer and sign a two-way contract or have to go overseas if you want to get a paycheck. Like, it was either that or getting no money staying in college. Not the case now. Now you can get paid and stay in college. So I, I think that element played a factor in the decisions for, for a lot of those guys. Maybe not all of them, but I think a lot of them. Some may be able to make more money off their NIL in college than playing overseas or, or playing in the G League. I mean, and if you're a, if you're a you know, a, a Johnny Juzang, do you want to go? Do you want to play for UCLA in packed arenas in the Pac-12, trying to go back to the Final Four again, or go play in empty G League gyms? Like, if you're Hunter Dickinson, do you want to go play for Jawan Howard for another year, play in the Big Ten, defend your Big Ten title, play in packed arenas, or do you want to go potentially over in Lithuania? where half the guys on your team don't even speak the same language. You're you you're living in some apartment, you don't you have no friend. You I mean, listen, I don't begrudge people that do the latter. But again, now that people have the option of getting paid with both, it changes things a little bit. And I wondered if this could be a huge boost to college basketball. And I think we're already seeing it happen. The more college basketball can retain its top players, the better the sport will be, period. And that's kind of happening. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously Mobley and Suggs and those guys there, Kate Cunningham, yeah, those guys are gone. But those guys are top five picks. The big thing that 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 college basketball needs to keep is a Hunter Dickinson, a Juzang, those guys for another year. And Ochai Abaji, they, they need to keep those guys for another year. It's it's been a while since this many top dudes are returning to college basketball. And man, next year is going to be amazing. I mean, they're legit there's like legit 10, 12 legit title contenders. 
I'm talking legitimate title contenders. The Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors, and I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go into Pella's website right now, you look at it, and how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors by Pella won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big-time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. They got triple-pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. UCLA returns everyone. Gonzaga returns Timmy and reloads. Got Chet Holmgren, number one recruit in the country. Michigan returns Eli Brooks and Hunter Dickinson, and they have the number one recruiting class in the country. KU is stupid loaded. Purdue's going to be really good. Texas, with Chris Beard in his first year, is going to be incredible. Villanova, Colin Gillespie coming back, like they're going to be pretty darn good. It's 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 going to be an amazing season. Oregon's going to be good. It's going to be an exciting season. And one of the big reasons is the sport was able to retain a lot of its top talent. And I, I'd have to imagine, on some level, on some level, NIL, name, image, likeness, played a role in, in these players' decisions. So cheers to that. I am pumped. Really, really excited. All right, let's get to the mailbag. Uh Appreciate all the questions. Again, you can email nick at nickbaugh.com. Can you leave the, the mailbag questions on Twitter? Follow me on Twitter at Nick Baugh. Like me on Facebook. Follow me on Facebook. Uh, here we go. Connor emails in, says, Nick, your love for MJ, Michael Jordan, is well documented, but let's take a stroll down the thought process of a Pacers fan who is willing to accept his greatness. He puts in parentheses LeBron number one and MJ number two in my mind, despite hating them both for keeping my team down. How do we continuously give MJ a pass for quitting basketball three times? Most people quit once because they are forced to. We were told to accept MJ as the ultimate competitor, yet he gave up the game we love on three separate occasions. If LeBron shows he may not be interested in a series, we roast him. MJ showed he wasn't interested in the game, and we give him a pass. Am I just a jaded Reggie Miller fan? Love the podcast. It's from Connor. Okay, uh, first of all, I hear you to a certain extent, but I also think you're probably a little jaded. Because here's the thing. When you leave matters. The circumstances of when matters. So let's just let's, let's get inside of it a little bit. The first time Michael Jordan retired, 1993, he had just won three straight NBA championships. He averaged 40 points per game in the 1993 NBA Finals. It was just he was out of this world good. He was unquestionably the best player in the world. And for some people, he had already been anointed the GOAT in 1993. He had hit a point that kind of nobody had really hit. So from a basketball standpoint, it's kind of hard to muster up any slander on Michael Jordan, the basketball player. It just kind of is. Plus, I think the other thing is his dad had just been tragically murdered 
So there was there was that going on as well. So okay, you, you've you've won three straight titles. You you are on top of the mountain. Your your dad just had some you had something tragic happen to your family. You the circumstances there, you can kind of go okay, interesting. Now there's no doubt that's the most perplexing of the three. But nevertheless, circumstances. The second time Michael Jordan retired, 1998, Michael Jordan had just three-peated again. He had just won three straight titles, with the last one coming off the greatest 41 seconds of basketball any individual has ever played in Game 6 at Utah. Chicago's down three on the road, Game 6, NBA Finals, up 3-2. The possessions are Jordan gets a layup, cuts it to one. Jordan steals the ball from Carmelone. Dribbles up the floor. We've all seen it. Crosses up Aaron Russell. Perfect Swiss jump shot. Ball game. Another title. Again, it's hard to muster up any slander on Michael Jordan, the basketball player, when that's the case. Plus, plus another little thing with the... If you watch The Last Dance, it was understood that Phil Jackson wasn't coming back. They had already kind of called this The Last Dance. Phil wasn't coming back, and it kind of felt like this was it. And that was Jerry Krause's decision, right? Phil wasn't, his contract wasn't going to renew, get renewed. And it was, it, it, that, that group kind of splintered. So again, you can kind of understand it. Maddening, but you can kind of understand it. And then the third time he retired was obvious because it was his final retirement. And whenever someone is clearly as done and has passed their prime, which MJ was, I think everyone knew it. It's hard to criticize that. So that's how I'd kind of like get inside of all of that. Listen, I hear you when he's branded on being the ultimate competitor, but I, th- I think when you look at the circumstances and when the retirements occurred, they make more sense. When you retire, the circumstances matter. But I will say this, and this is coming from a Michael Jordan lover. I think he's the greatest of all time. He's number one basketball player of all time. He's my number one sports hero ever. I do think it's interesting how when we, we being basketball people, the media, all that stuff, I think it's interesting how when we discuss Michael Jordan, the people like to omit the first six years of his career and then the last two years in Washington. That's eight total seasons. That people just are like, Dad, Dad, that doesn't matter. That's half of his career. That's half of his career. The people are like, no, 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 no. We're not focused on 1985. In 1988. Like, when we discuss Michael Jordan and his career, it's like we only focus from 1991 to 98. That's it. It's almost like those are his only years in the NBA. And that's always kind of puzzled me a little bit because we don't do that with LeBron James. Every single year is a referendum on his career, and every year that doesn't end in a title can and will be used against LeBron James in the case of LeBron versus MJ. It's just it's just kind of a, a weird thing that I've noticed. A weird thing that I've noticed. People just are like, nah, 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 it doesn't matter. All that matters is 91, 98. Eric emails in. Says, Nick, next year's Creighton basketball team will feature some intriguing new pieces. If you had to pick two freshmen who eventually cracked the starting lineup, who would that be and why? 
Keep doing what you're doing, as always. Love the pod and always got on my way to flip to the channel to a game that you're calling. Appreciate you, Eric. Uh, my because you got you got a lot of a lot of young bucks to choose from. The two freshmen I would would pick that are going to crack the starting lineup are, are Ryan Nemhard and then Arthur Kaluma. You you saw what both those guys are able to do in the in uh, over the weekend representing their national teams, especially Nemhard with the Canadian under nineteen team. Uh, he Nemhard seems to like he is a perfect perfect point guard for Greg McDermott's system. He's smart, he's quick, he can create, he can score, he's tough, he can push it, he can play fast, he's great in ball screens. I, I think eventually, maybe not right away, but I think eventually he is the, the starting point guard. And then Arthur Kaluma, you know, at, at, at that size and, and, and positional length and how he can put the ball on the floor and he can defend, he can shoot, he can he can get to the rim. I think eventually Kaluma is just too talented, too long, too athletic uh, to, to not be in the starting lineup. So those would be those would be the two freshmen I would pick, Nemhard and Kaluma. Douglas emails in, says, Hey, Nick, I've always wondered how you and Bo handle not just hammering Barrett with insider questions. Guessing you know a lot more in the pod. Got to spill some good stuff, though, with a smile emoji. Uh, you know, that's it. I mean, it's a it's a great question. And I'd, I'd actually be curious if Bo was here, how he'd probably answer that question. Um, but I know I know for me, it, it is really hard on a variety of fronts. Like, I, it's it's a couple of things for me. First of all, I, I try to respect Barrett's privacy, right? Like, I try to respect Barrett's privacy as, in terms of his job and what he does. There's kind of that line with things that feels a little inappropriate to probe into. For instance, I was with Barrett and his family on the 4th of July. We spent the afternoon together. We hung out all afternoon. I didn't ask Barrett one Bill Moose question. And I didn't ask him one football question. I didn't. I made a decision when I was driving out there. I'm like, you know what? I'm just not even going to go there with him. Because the reality is, Bear Root was my friend. He was my friend long before he became the inside linebackers coach in Nebraska. Right? Like, I don't need to sit there and act like... I, I don't want him to feel like he's in a media session at a press conference just, which, ooh, how's Adrian look? What do you think? Who's going to be the starting running back? What, d- defensively, do you think... Uh, how good did, did did Henrik really have that good of a, a spring? What happened with Bill Moose? Did we, I mean, it's like, come on, man. Just hang out, drink a beer, be buddies. I'm sure the last thing Barrett wants to do is have a two-hour-long chat about Nebraska football and get peppered with a lot of questions that he's probably like, eh, I don't know how much I really can tell you on that. I'm sure when he's hanging with his friends, he wants to escape a bit from, you know, football, 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 football. And so I try to respect that. That's not to say that we don't talk about it. We do. We just did it on the 4th of July. When we there, there are times we do. We'll text. We'll talk. Like, yeah. but I always try to be real careful with how much I'm going to poke and prod. And I mean, cause it's just a, I don't, I don't ever want to make him feel like he's in a weird spot. And then the other thing is, and this, this might sound weird to some people. Sometimes you can know too much. 
sometimes when you when you know too much and and know too much about behind the scenes and this guy and that guy and it can it can you can't see that you can't see something for what it is it can end up impacting your judgment of what's going on in a in a bad way like insider information is there's a balance with that it can be good because it can help you really understand a situation but at the same time, the more you know, sometimes the harder it is to see something objectively, in my opinion. So I've, I've made a conscious decision that, you know, over the course of my 12, 13-year career in the media doing radio and now podcasting and then doing stuff on TV with Fox, like I've actually tried to maintain a healthy distance from Nebraska football. And that may seem weird for some, but for me, this is just me, I think it helps me do my job better. You can you can know too much. You can be too close to it. Now, with all that said, I mean, obviously me and Bo do know things or learn about things that we have to be careful about and how we discuss them, especially Bo. I bet there's stuff that Bo knows that Bo doesn't even tell me. And listen, we are beyond best friends. But Bo has to be really careful. He's got to be really careful. Right? Because it wouldn't be too hard to like trace something back to Bo. Or to Barrett. So it's it's a weird deal. I just I I try to respect Barrett and his privacy and not poke and prod. And again, there's just there's a healthy distance that that for me needs to exist for a variety of reasons for me to be able to do the job how I how I want to do it. So there you go. Uh, Louis emails says, Nick, let's say NIL came in last year and Tyshawn Alexander decides to stay. Where does this team end up? So obviously Tyshawn's with the with. The, the Phoenix Suns actually scored, had a little jumper late in, in game three of the NBA Finals. Pretty cool. Uh, but I, I, you know, it's funny. I thought Creighton ended up missing Tyshawn Alexander last year way more than I thought they would. And that's not, I thought Tyshawn was a really, really good player, but I just thought they could, they could kind of keep on chugging along. Like I thought Marcus Segarowski was their heart and soul and their best player. Uh, I thought Mitch could kind of maybe assume some of the other stuff. Damian and Denzel would take a step. Like I thought they'd be able to they'd be okay. And you know what's weird is I thought they'd miss Tyshawn more on defense because he emerged as an incredible defender his last year at Creighton. I thought he should have been the, the Big East defensive player of the year. And they they did miss him to a certain extent there, but you know, Denzel Mahoney kind of emerged in that role. But I thought they ended up missing him on offense way more than I anticipated because there were there were three things that stood out to me as the season progressed last year with Creighton. Number one, they they felt like they were a ball handler creator short. They they needed someone else other than Marcus Zagorowski to be able to come off ball screens, get in the lane, and create. Tyshawn could do that. Unfortunately, that's not really Mitch Ballock's game. That's not Denzel Mahoney's game. Damian Jefferson's more of an ISO mismatch driver to, to score than a true playmaker off ball screens. And I thought Creighton's offense took a big hit with, with that lacking. I mean, anymore, 
in in basketball and in particular in college, you got to have kind of at least two ball handler creators to really be explosive. This episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Runza. Runza and my pod have teamed up for a sweet summer sweepstakes that can win you some great prizes, including an amazing grand prize. Head over to herdapmedia.com backslash ba sweeps. That's herdapmedia.com backslash ba sweeps and enter for your chance for the grand prize of, wait for it, one Runza combo meal a month for an entire year, plus a Nick Bob podcast t-shirt. That's right. One Runza combo meal a month for an entire year. Absolutely incredible. Plus, there are other great prizes as well. So head over to herdapmedia.com backslash sweeps. Get registered, and you might get your free runs a game right once per month for an entire year. Again, that's herdapmedia.com backslash boss sweeps to enter. Runza and the Nick Bob Podcast, a winning combination trying to make you a winner. Runza makes it all better. Baylor had three or four different guys that could get downhill, make things happen. Gonzaga had three, four guys that could do that. When it came right down to it, Creighton had one, and that's Marcus Zagorowski. So Tyshawn made makes a a big difference in that regard. The other thing is I didn't think Creighton's pace was near as good. The reality is Creighton wasn't near as explosive or fast in the open floor last year, and that kind of goes back to a certain degree of what I just laid out. Marcus Segarowski was the only legitimate kind of ball handler that could push and create. You know, Creighton was playing with two de facto point guards with Tyshawn Alexander and Zagorowski when they were together. And that unlocked a lot of different things, in particular the transition. And so that lacked. And then number number three, Creighton never really played their small ball all year, last year. Now, a lot of that was Denzel Mahoney not really wanting to play the four or the five. He only wanted to play on the wing. But, but think about it. Two years ago, when Creighton won the Big East... The last year, Tyshawn Alexander was was at Creighton. Their curveball they threw at teams that opponents really struggled with was playing five guards. Marcus Zagorowski, Tyshawn Alexander, Mitch Ballock, Damian Jefferson, Denzel Mahoney. That five was the five that closed out Seton Hall to, to win the Big East regular season title. Like that, at the end of the day, that was where they were really, really tough to deal with when they threw that out there. They never really tried that this year. And you could argue that the absence of Tyson Alexander also Im- impacted the ability to do that. They didn't have the shooting and the ball handling to do that as effectively. So you add all that up, and that, that makes a big, big difference. I thought I thought Creighton was, was final four good two years ago with Tyshawn in the in the in the lineup. And when when I watch well when I watch you know Baylor and and them peaking last year and what they did to Gonzaga in the finals and all that like it's hard to see Creighton beating them even with Tyshawn Alexander but I think Creighton with Tyshawn Alexander last year was a legitimate legitimate elite eight final four type team and who knows what what Tyshawn's decision would have been if there would have been nil I think Tyshawn was ready to to go pro that's just that's that's me but who knows. Alex via Twitter says, Nick, if you're calling a company for service and they tell you where you're at in the wait queue before you can talk to customer service, what's your cutoff number? 
I feel like 1 to 10, I'm staying on. 11 to 17, I'm hesitant. 18 to 20, I'm in for 10 minutes. 21 or more, I'm trying again later. <laughs> first, first of all, nice question. First, of all, I love it when people are super passionate and well thought out about something so minute and small. Like, I love when people have, like, definitive, well thought out things for something really tiny. So I love this. But I will say, Alex, you're more patient than me. If 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 I'm beyond like number eight or maybe ten, I'm calling later. I'm like, ah, I'm not doing. It. I'm not sticking around for this. I will say the good thing in the morning, kind of put it on speaker and do other things while you're waiting. It doesn't like you legitimately have to just sit there. But still, anything higher than eight, I'm hanging up unless it's like absolutely urgent. By the way, is there anything more frustrating than calling some sort of customer service and speaking to an automated robot who can supposedly understand full sentences? on what you're calling about and you kind of end up yelling and getting angry at an automated robot, which only makes it worse because it gets the robot even more confused. And then you're yelling at a robot. It's horrible. So let me talk to a real person. Come on. Matt via Twitter says, Nick, do you think the move to the big 10 has contributed to Nebraska's downfall? We had a great recruiting base in Texas and now it's gone. Doesn't seem like we established a similar place. Also, I wonder if the last several years of poor football have hurt in-state recruiting. Um, so I think I think everything you just said is is has some truth to it. But I think it's just been a perfect storm on a lot of different levels. Like there's been no continuity in the football program, and really a lot of the athletic department. There's been a handful of bad hires. And then obviously the conference change changing conferences kind of I mean that's it's harder than you think hurts Nebraska's identity. I mean, I've talked about that. what 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 school football-wise is unequivocally doing better right now having changed conferences. Like they're in a better place. Missouri in the SEC? No. Colorado in the Pac-12? Not really. Texas A&M in the SEC? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you'd have to go to, like, TCU in the Big 12, but that was, like, a move up. I mean, you look it's Maryland, Rutgers, eh. Not, I mean, the reality is a lot, of, a lot of these moves have kind of hurt a lot of schools football-wise, which is interesting to think about. So, obviously, the conference change hurts. The, and then the Texas the Texas factor is real. Like, you got to establish some sort of recruiting footprint somewhere else because the state of Nebraska doesn't just produce a ton of, you know, college football high-level guys. And, and that does spill into the other point of the, the lack of success for Nebraska has impacted local recruiting. But I will say this. It's always still wild to me when kids from Omaha don't even have Nebraska basically in their top five or top ten. What is it? The top, the, the top four ranked players in the state over the last two years have all not even had Nebraska in their top five, but they're all from Omaha. And you just, you can't help but kind of scratch your head at that. I mean, basically now two years in a row, Nebraska hasn't been able to get the top kids in the state and the top kids in the Omaha Metro. And so you kind of go, something's weird. Something weird is going on in Omaha in its relationship with Nebraska football. I, I don't, I mean, I have my theories, but I don't, I don't, I don't really understand it. Cause even something like that big red blitz that the athletic department just went on, they didn't go to Omaha. What biggest city in your, 
entire state? How do you not go there? But it's just weird for me because it's almost it's it's the complete opposite of what it was like for me growing up, where it was unheard of for a high school player in the state of Nebraska to not have Nebraska be number one on their list. And you know, so it was a it was twofold. Not only not only was Nebraska, you know, they were winning, which was a selling point, but it also there was a standard set that you that was kind of understood that everybody followed. There's this unspoken thing like you good Nebraska players go to Nebraska. Like good Nebraska high school football players go to Nebraska. And maybe that needs to get the, like here this is what it is. What what Nebraska needs is they need an in-state kid from Omaha to go ball out at Nebraska and set a new new tone there. Blaze a new trail there. Like Nebraska needs Nick Henrich or or Betts, Xavier Betts, to have great careers so Omaha kids can see that and follow the same path. Because I think that I always thought that helped Omaha with Creighton basketball recruiting, for instance. I mean, with guys like Josh Dotzler and Antoine Young and Josh Jones and Kyrie Thomas and Justin Patton and now Sharif Mitchell, like there's been a long line of Metro Omaha hoopers go to Creighton and have good careers. So Younger, younger Omaha kids see that and see that trail and they're more prone to follow it. I think that would really help Nebraska football right now if an Omaha kid could go to Nebraska and be a total stud right now. Help kind of reset the hierarchy of for, for Nebraska football in Omaha. Because when Nebraska's losing kids to Missouri, it's like, What? Missouri? I mean, if a kid goes, there are certain schools like, okay, like Harrison Phillips and Stanford, right? Stanford, one of the most prestigious academic schools. Okay, whatever, right? Uh, homeboy that went to uh, to Notre Dame a couple years ago, a year or two ago. Like, okay, I mean, it's Notre Dame, like blue blood, very, you know. But when Nebraska's losing out to Missouri? Now, I know the West Side kid ended up going to Oregon, but at one point he was going to Minnesota. You're like, Minnesota? What? So, but uh, I will say this, though. This also shows what I've always believed to be true, that the best recruiting tool is winning. It's not the $155 million facility. Yeah, that's nice, but winning trumps it. If Nebraska wins, things will get right in Omaha recruiting. In my opinion. But with the, the, the Big Ten move, to kind of wrap up the answer, with the Big Ten move, I still think Nebraska is finding its identity and finding its fit in the league. Now, uh, but a kick-ass coach can solve all that shit, right? Like, and hopefully Fred Hoiberg and Scott Frost are those guys. Because since joining the Big Ten, Nebraska's had, what, two basketball coaches. They're on their third football coach. Been this is going to be their third athletic director, fourth athletic director. What Osborne, Eichhorst, Moose, and other fourth. I mean, that's a lot of change. That is a lot of change. Brandon via Twitter says, Nick, not sure if this has been asked before, but if Scott Frost was hypothetically fired, who would be your go to hire for Nebraska football? Okay, I don't. 
so what I'm about to tell you for some reason can upset a lot of Husker fans. I don't know why. I mean, I guess I maybe do because it kind of confirms a stereotype, but still. For some reason, the the idea that, that I'm about to throw out at you makes a lot of Husker fans roll their eyes. But if Scott Frost were to be fired or leave or whatever, I'd go back to running the option. I would hire someone who runs the option. Now, if you if if it needs to be some hybrid form of the option out of the gun, okay, whatever. But like if it if it's, you know, old school under center legitimate like service academy option, I'm cool. I'm serious too. Like I think it would give I mean, at this point, like, you've tried everything else, guys. You've tried pro-style, West Coast spread, up-tempo. Like, you've tried everything else. Because I think it would give Nebraska a sustainable edge, a way to be different. And I think it would allow you, recruiting-wise, I think you could go out there and get the best option quarterback in the country. I think you, you I think running backs, you, you still would be able to get a top-notch running back. You then could go kind of find your big, beefy, tough guys in your 500-mile radius because I think that's the other thing it does is it allows you to capitalize on your natural resources of what's around you, and that's big-ass farm boys from Nebraska, Kansas, Dakotas. All that. You can go get a bunch of those guys. And you do all that, you got, you got some. Now, you may be listening to this and some may say, like, oh, Nick, you ain't winning a national championship running the option in 2020s. Like, come on, man. And to that, I would say Nebraska needs to win its division first. Let's not, let's not worry about that right now. Right? Like, come on. Because I do think I, – I don't know, but if you, like, if you kind of sequentially break it out, like, I think you could win the West running the option. And in some ways – let me just throw this at you. In some ways – could I argue? Could I argue? I think you maybe got a better chance of beating Ohio State in a one-game scenario for the Big Ten title in Indianapolis if you get there. I think you maybe got a better chance of beating Ohio State running the option than trying to do what they do with inferior players, which is kind of what Nebraska's trying to do. I mean, think about that. Are you going to go out Ohio State, Ohio State, yeah, probably not. So I don't know. I think, I think the option route is where I would go. You can roll your eyes at that if you want. I think it would make it would give Nebraska an edge, immediately give them identi- an identity. I think if 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 something were to happen, hypothetically the job came open, I'd, I'd give I'd give the option finding some sort of option football coach, a good hard look. I'm 1,000% serious. Because I do, I've always kind of subscribed to the school thought of where you're geographically located maybe should have some bearing on your style that you play. Like, it makes sense for Florida and Florida State and Miami to be speed-based because that's what you have in abundance. But in Nebraska... You don't, you don't have much speed. What you got is size. And you got to find a way to be unique. So that's what I would do. Brandon says, Nick, if you were a college athlete today, what kind of endorsement deals would you be looking for? Would you go after the money, free swag, or something that would build your brand for future deals? 
Interesting question. I mean, I mean, my first thought is I'd probably chase the biggest paycheck, whatever that would be. But what's hard is I really try to think back. I want you, everyone, really try to like. I really, really try to go back into your mind of when you were eighteen to twenty-two years old. I know for me, when I try to go back and think about my mentality when I was 18 to 22 years old, outside of basketball, the two things I prioritized were partying and girls, Like if we're being honest. I mean, I'll just be real. J.J. Reddick said it best when he tweeted out, he said if he had NIL in college, he'd have spent it all on Natty Light and Lacoste polos. <laughs> and I'm probably the same way. Like, I probably would be the same. Like, I don't even... I don't even it's hard for me to even answer that question. I'm I'm not even sure what I've would have gone after in that regard. I don't know, like a car, maybe. I, I I do think the one thing I would have probably done and then, you know, try and take my mind when I was 18 to 22 and put it now. Like I think for me, what would have been great for me and my goals of getting into the media it w- would be what I'm doing right now, like a, a podcast or something like that. Would have been really, really good for me. If I'd have had my own podcast all the way throughout college, that would have, that would have been good for me. But Brandon, I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's a tough thing to try to think about. I don't know if you want to try to, you know, get, develop some sort of relationship with Nike or Gatorade or something like that that has, you know, a big brand. You want to try to do something, ingratiate yourself locally? I don't know. I also think I'm trying to get my head around this thing and see what these what what all is possible with this stuff, too. Kevin says, uh, Nick, what do you think about Creighton basketball next year? We lost a ton of talent, brought in our highest recruiting class ever, plus three guys on the team are playing for the Under-19 World Championship Tournament. Of course, again, he's talking about Kalkbrenner, Nemhard, and Kaluma. Which is obviously really, really impressive. To have three guys on a stage like that, I mean, not very many college basketball teams have three guys playing in the in the under-19 World Championship Tournament. Not, I mean, because that, that, that speaks to the raw talent. But to answer the question, I'm not really sure with next year because there is talent, obviously, but it's young and it's unproven in terms of producing in college. And at least as of right now, the blueprint for success in college basketball in terms of what wins is to get old and stay old. It's what every coach talks about. Got to get old and stay old. You know, unless you're Kentucky, you know, and you're getting your, you know, you're getting your top, your McDonald's All-Americans and you're littering your, your team with five stars, right? But you look at, the reality is Kentucky ain't winning the past couple of years. I mean, you look at Villanova and Baylor and Gonzaga, Virginia a few years ago. Like, what has won lately? Experienced, older veteran teams. And Creighton certainly isn't that, which makes it hard to project. I mean, hell, I don't even know if Greg McDermott would know who he would start right now if he had to go play at Nova. Like, if if they had to get on a plane and fly to Philadelphia and play Villanova, I don't even know who Greg McDermott would start. Who would be his rotation? Who's the first guy off the bench? So it's tough. I've been a broken record on this, though. I think Greg McDermott's earned the benefit of the doubt with his ability to recruit, reload, and then maximize his roster. He's built three different top 10 teams at Creighton. 
His talent evaluating is really good in terms of figuring out what he needs for his system. And Creighton, this maybe speaks to just a lack of respect for voters, but like Creighton consistently outperforms their projections in terms of preseason Big East rankings. So I, I don't know. I trust that Greg McDermott will maximize this team's talent. But they're just so they're they're just young, so it's tough to gauge. I think they will get better as the year progresses. Um, can I can I say I think they're an NCAA tournament team right now? I can't go that far. But who knows? Who knows? Either way, it's going to be fun to watch this this young core group. It's going to be really really fun. The Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my good friends at White Castle Roofing, and I've owned two homes in my life, one in Omaha and now one in Lincoln. And both times, when I had some damage to my roof, White Castle Roofing was who I trusted with the job. I had some hail damage to my roof in Omaha. White Castle took care of that and did a great job. And then I had a leak with my skylight in Lincoln. My guy Ben from White Castle was able to come over, take a look at things, get the pieces needed to fix it, communicated every step, and boom, the crew was over and knocked it out quickly. Done and done. The crew was amazing, man. They're fast. They're efficient. They were awesome. Cleanup was a top priority. And most importantly, they did a fantastic job. You can't trust just anyone with your roof. And trust me, you can trust White Castle Roofing. Check them out online, whitecastleroofing.com. That's whitecastleroofing.com. White Castle Roofing, built with trust. Proven by time. Last one, uh, and then we'll wrap this bad boy up. Nate emails in and says, Nick, I'm curious if you've learned anything from watching those old Nebraska games for your Husker Classic recap pods in looking at Nebraska's program today under Frost. I love listening to them. Curious to get your thoughts. Keep up the good work. Great question, Nate. Because for people who don't know, Bo Rudenide, Got a series, you should go check it out. We just did the latest one on, we watch a classic Husker football game and then record a podcast recapping it. We just did 2001 Nebraska-Oklahoma, but we've done the 94 National Title Game, 97 Missouri, 83 Orange Bowl where Osborne goes for two, 2009 Big 12 Title Game. Like We've done a lot of classic games, 94 Colorado. But, Nick, so I honestly think it would, like, if, I know a lot of people don't have, you know, two and a half hours to, go on YouTube and just watch a game from like 2001 or 94. But I honestly think it would be a great exercise for all Husker fans to go back and watch these classic games on a, on a, and you can learn a lot, man, a lot. But one of the, I would say one of my biggest takeaways so far, and it's almost become a running joke with me and Bo on the pods because I talk about it all the time on the pods. One of, one of my biggest takeaways so far is just how important special teams and field position and winning that battle have been in these big games when Nebraska was in its heyday. Like, you, you watching that Nebraska-Oklahoma game in 2001, I just watched it a week ago. Like, they Nebraska beat Oklahoma. Yeah, we know about Black 41 flash reverse pass, but Nebraska won that game because special teams were incredible and they dominated field position the whole game. And then they didn't turn it over. But one of the common themes from decade to decade, team to team, like the one of the common denominators has been really, really, really good special teams. Punter, kicker, punt returner. Nebraska's just owned that area of the game. Go watch the 94 Miami national title game. 
Nebraska's special teams was awesome. And it makes a huge difference. But to the core of the question, like, it is, it's funny that Nate asked that question because it is hard to watch these older games and not in the back of your mind still think about the program today and where it's at and what its issues are. And when you kind of pit the two against each other, obviously the difference in the state of the programs are dramatic, right? You're talking about national title teams, dynasties, and pitting them against teams that aren't even going to bowl games. So naturally, we're, we're in two different areas here. But it's weird, though. Beyond the raw talent in certain spots with certain players, Crouch, Lawrence Phillips, Jason Peter, you know, Dominican Sue, like, you could argue that the biggest difference from the program today when, and then comparing it to watching these classic games is just how buttoned up and organized Nebraska was. Special teams, taking care of the ball, discipline, field position battle. Like, Nebraska was excellent in those areas. Excellent. And one of the things I've wrestled with is how much raw talent impacts those areas. The ability to be buttoned up. The ability to to be disciplined and not be sloppy. How much is that raw talent? How much is that something else? Like, because what's hard is if you if you simplify it, listen, the, the better, more talented players make routine plays more consistently. The one-on-one tackle, the block, catching a ball, not getting a penalty. The better, more talented player is going to make those plays more consistently. But how much of that is focus and coaching versus talent and skill? Did the elite Nebraska teams excel in those areas because of coaching and culture? Or did the elite Nebraska teams excel in those areas because they had elite talent? I think it's probably some combination of the two. Because just like anything, it's not all just one thing. But I also push back. Let's not act like Nebraska had a bunch of stiffs running around out there in the 90s. Even in 2001. Let's not act like they had a bunch of Rudys and they were, they had dudes. They had pros. But at the same time, I also look at like Northwestern. And I see how buttoned up they are and how disciplined they are and how smart they are. And you can't tell me that it's because they are way more talented than Nebraska is. So it's it's kind of tough to sink your teeth into with with those kinds of things, with with the elite all-time great Nebraska teams with today's program. I mean, the talent gap is obvious in certain areas. D-line, O-line, certain skill spots. Like, that's easy to spot and make sense of. But what I found myself pondering more is how to size up the organizational aspect of it, the excellent special teams and winning of the field position battle and not making that bonehead back-breaking mistake or penalty. And how much of that is related to talent? And and how much of that is about coaching and culture? Because if, if it's largely about coaching and culture, then Nebraska under Scott Frost should be able to get that addressed pretty quickly. 
and you know, just so in, in watching these classic games and then thinking about what what hurts Nebraska in games today, the thing that stands out is you know the special teams, the field positions, battles, the, playing a clean game factor. Like that's the stuff that kind of stands out, to be honest. So I'm, I am really, really fascinated to watch Nebraska this year for that, for all of that. Because I said I said this to Bo on a recent wine pod. the The exciting thing about this year is Scott Frost knows what the issues are and what the problems are. Like it's it it's understandable for you to maybe get into a situation, and sometimes you don't. You think you have something buttoned up and you don't, right? Oh, that ended up being not even near good enough. We need to spend way more time on that. Whatever. But once you know what the issues are, they should get addressed. Not saying completely fixed, but addressed and improved. Things like special teams, sloppiness, penalties, turnovers, just looking buttoned up and well-coached. Like, those are things that are high on my list of what I'm watching for. I can't wait. I can't wait. And we'll wrap it up there. Appreciate everybody participating. Always love these emails. Keep them coming. Nick at NickBot.com. We'll catch you next time on uh, a mailbag, and we'll catch you next time on the NickBot Podcast. All right, my thanks to Pella. If you're thinking about a new window or a new door, now is the time. Check them out online on the web at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And uh, my thanks to my good friends at Runza. Best fries on the planet. Great burgers. Cheese Runza. Delicious. The food is simply fantastic. Runza makes it all better. A Huda Media Production.